As you're uh, getting your Bibles there, be turning to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Um, as you're looking for that, it's kind of in the back if you are looking for it. 1 John 3, 1. Uh, I just want to say this morning that uh, if you will allow me an indulgence, I'm going to place some cough drops right here because I have a most minor of inconveniences unless you're preaching, which is a little bit of sinus drainage, so I might clear my throat from time to time. I try not to do that. But um, if I do, just uh, that's a sign for you to wake up and start paying attention again this morning. First John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I normally don't, I normally don't do this, which is we're going to read this as a basis, and then we're not going to come back to it in the rest of the sermon today. But it is a foundational verse for us today. First John 3, 1, and the Word of God says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Let's pray together. Father, it's good just to say that to you. Father, I pray today as we explore a little bit the fatherhood of, well, you, um, that we are impressed, that we are comforted, that we are uh, possibly, Lord, convicted, that we are refreshed, encouraged, delighted. Lord, I pray today that you would have your word go forth today and do what it does best, that it would change our hearts find its way deep within them, split it to bone and marrow, split our, our, our hearts in the right way, Lord, laying open the difficulties, the fears, the worries, the concerns that are there. We pray today that we would as well honor uh, those earthly fathers who deserve our respect and our, our honor according to your word. Lord, it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray these things. Amen. As I said, we started off with the, the 1 John chapter 3, because we're going to talk today about the fatherhood of God. And this is a foundational passage when we talk about the fatherhood of God. Really, uh, we are all God's children today. And even though this is a day we're supposed to be honoring our earthly fathers, I, I felt like there was no better way to do that than by studying some of what the Scripture has to say about our ultimate Father, the Heavenly Father. Uh, so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to take a bird's eye view of the fatherhood of God from several passages of Scripture. And as I say from time to time, you might want to buckle your pew strap. It's, it's going to be quick today. I don't mean... Time-wise, I mean, we're going to move rapidly through these, uh, these texts. And if you have not been in the Bible drill in a long time, don't feel like you need to keep up and turn to all of these passages. Uh, they will be on the screen for you this morning. You know, one of the hallmarks of a good Father's Day sermon usually is something that's really harsh and critical and just makes fathers feel bad, you know. You ever hear those sermons? I'm sure you have. I've probably delivered some in the past. You know, about all you lazy, no-good, four-flushing fathers out there and how you're just not doing your job right, you know. Uh, you know, on Mother's Day, though, we get the opposite. We, we, we get to celebrate mom. It's a good day for everybody. 
everybody shows up to church together and all the kids you haven't seen in you know 11 months are back there and they're just mom you're amazing when show her how great she is and we're telling you you're you're just a horrible child you need to love your mother better and so we take mom breakfast in bed and then after church we take her out somewhere real nice so she didn't have to lift a finger to to, to eat and on father's day we fear we we hear how all of us fathers are falling down on our jobs you guys are useless get to work repent for your evil deeds and then after church dad has to come home and fire up the grill and cook himself something for dinner <laughs> it's just it's a little different but but i'm going to strike the balance here today we're going to strike the balance in between these because as i mentioned earlier let's be honest man we really don't want all the attention that moms get for one we don't want to try to live up to that hype do we i mean that's a lot of pressure you know when people are when people are praising you that much so dads we we'll fly under the radar a little bit this morning by turning our attention to our heavenly father you know even a father needs a father so even us men this morning we can learn from these six biblical insights into the goodness of god as father (coughs) excuse me so our first point is this god gives good gifts to his children god gives good gifts to his children and we'll find this in luke's gospel chapter 11 verses 11 through 13 is similar to the passage that nathan has already already read for us you know i heard a kid uh this week was talking to his dad and he said you know dad i think i think for father's day this year i should get i should get 50 percent of the father's day gifts and the dad said well like i'm the father i don't even know why you think you're entitled to it and he says but without me you wouldn't be a father so i hope all your father's day gifts are wonderful this year i i have a feeling i already know what i'm getting uh, my kids have been asking me all week what size aftershave i wear so we'll see the truth is fathers we love to give good gifts to our children too and maybe you're not a big gift giver i understand not everybody's a big gift giver but when it comes to our children we want to make sure they get something nice from us and we're certainly not going to give them something evil or something wicked and jesus knew this in fact he said our heavenly father is the very same way luke 11 11 through 13 what father among you if a son asks for a fish will instead give him a serpent or a poisonous snake or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil and evil here doesn't mean just a really awful person it means you're not perfect you're not sinless you're not god you contain sin in your heart which means all of us if you then who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him and this this passage sounds shocking and maybe it sounds a little silly i mean come on a dad giving a kid a snake instead of a fish that's just silly what dad in his right mind would hand his child a poisonous snake and that's exactly the point jesus is making the argument from the absurd you wouldn't do this why do you think god would do that yet sometimes we treat god as if he doesn't know the difference between an egg and a scorpion i'm not sure god has given me good gifts i'm not sure what god is giving me is is best for me we need to realize and recognize 
God gets no pleasure from disappointing us, from harming us, from seeing us suffer. He wants to give you good gifts. As a matter of fact, James tells us, every good gift comes from God. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. But the truth is, for me, sometimes I don't really know what I'm asking for. You know, maybe I've heard my buddies at the office, not this office, you know, talk about their rattlesnakes, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, maybe I would like a rattlesnake. Maybe I would like a scorpion. I've seen the scorpion in my neighbor's driveway. That's what I really want. I wonder why God isn't giving me one of those. And we start to think that we like the things that God isn't giving us when He knows what is best. What we need to do is learn to open our eyes to the gifts of God. You see, the problem with God's gifts, if you could say such a thing, is that they don't come wrapped up in a bow, and they don't come on your birthday or Father's Day or Christmas. So how do you know when God is giving you a gift? It's a good question. How do we know what is a gift? Well, just think of it this way. Do you have anything in your life that you don't deserve? Do you have time to spend with your family? Anytime. Do you have a family? Many of us have relatively good health, or it could be worse. All of us, hopefully, have the joy of our salvation. Uh, God might be providing us with opportunities to grow in patience or endurance or all sorts of things. All of these things are gifts from God. We need to train ourselves to look for and appreciate the gifts of God. Secondly, God has adopted us as sons and daughters. God has adopted us as sons and daughters. That might could have been the first point there, but, but the, the point is still the same. We are children of God because God has made us children of God. When I was a kid, I, I had a, a friend who was adopted by his stepfather. His stepfather happened to be a magician. And uh, so naturally, the question comes, well, you know, what kind of tricks does your stepfather does? Oh, he does all kinds of crazy, cool tricks. But the, the best trick that he does is he... He saws people in half. And I said, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I can't wait to see it. Well, do you have any you know, new siblings and brothers and sisters? And he says, yeah, I got two half-sisters and a half-brother. That's based on a true story. It's very, very loosely based. But aren't you glad you were adopted too? You see, none of you in this room, none of, nobody on the face of the planet was born by flesh and blood, a son or daughter of God. No one is born by birth. No one is born by right into the family of God. That's a particularly difficult lesson for the Jews to learn, and we have a whole conversation where Jesus spends trying to explain that to Nicodemus. I'm not sure he ever got it. But Romans 8, 14-15 explains it to us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, or sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the children of Israel thought for generations that just by their birthright, just by being in the lineage of Abraham, they were the sons and daughters of God. And Jesus starkly contrasts and corrects that idea it turns out they were not. 
It is only through Jesus Christ, as Paul would say, the seed of Abraham. It is only through the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, and in union with Him that you become a son or daughter of God. It is Jesus Christ who brought many sons to glory, many sons and daughters into the family of God. And what is most amazing about all this probably is that God did this without lowering His standards of sonship. He did it without lowering His standards to allow us sinful, dirty, filthy creatures into His family. He did just the opposite. Later on in Romans chapter 8, we see for those He foreknew, that's you and I, He also predestined, that means He decided it was going to be this way beforehand, that we would be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. So you see, what happened was God didn't lower his standards. He picked you up to meet the standard. And the Bible tells us clearly that every one of us at some point will be conformed fully into the image of a son of God, the son of God. God has adopted us, and he's given us the pedigree that we need to be in his family. Do you know what it means to be in God's family and be a a little brother of Jesus, it means that you get all the rights and privileges of being a son of God. And that's a pretty hefty high, uh, price tag. That comes with a lot of, a lot of uh, bling, a lot of uh, um, important facts and, and uh, inheritance. God has given us the keys to the kingdom because we are found in Jesus Christ. We are adopted into God's family Thirdly, God cares for you. God cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, God cares for you. <coughs> One night a young boy was heard crying in the next room and his parents you know, were alarmed because it was a terrified sort of cry. If you're a parent, you know that. You know that cry. And he was screaming and crying and they ran in to see what was the matter and he could hardly explain and he said... I've swallowed a penny and I'm going to die. He was sure he was going to die because he swallowed this penny. And his father tried to tell him, no, it's okay, you won't die, you'll be fine. And his son said, no, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And the father was so moved with compassion that he decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And he reached into his pocket and he got out a penny and he held it in the palm of his hand and reached into his son's mouth and pretended to pull out the penny. And the son immediately stops crying and he's so excited to be saved. And he looks at his father and he reaches out and snatches a penny and swallows it and says, Do it again, Dad! <laughs> Fathers, we care for our kids. We care for our kids, even if they don't understand how we're caring for them, what we're doing. We comfort the crying babies and the skinned knees of the toddlers and we reassure the restless teens, and maybe for some of you, we console our adult children when they are going through the difficulties of life. We care for our children and so much more. Did you know God cares for you? Looking at our passage, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, really verse 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Here's our key passage. Casting all your anxieties on Him, 
because he cares for you. It's a really simple question, but do you know that God the Father cares for you? Not just his people in general, not just First Baptist Church, but for you individually as a child. I honestly believe that this one truth has the potential to make or break a person. It really does. Those who truly believe that the God of the universe, the the faithful creator, is a caring father to them, can endure any hardship, suffer any wrong, and persist until the end. But those who doubt this, those who see God as maybe just kind of a distant, benevolent creator who, who doesn't really know what's going on in your life, when suffering comes, you feel alone. You feel abandoned. We tend to blame God for our trials. And I would say very often, this sort of fate does not persist to the end. It is that seed that has fallen among the thorns, and when the the worries and and difficulties of life rise up, it is choked out and does not grow. Friend, contemplate the one thing. God cares for you. And what's more, He invites you to cast your cares on Him. I like this translation in the English Standard. It says anxiety, cares, like worries, fears, what's going to happen in the future. I know nobody here battles anxiety, but, but just imagine for a moment that you were. How much anxiety are you hanging on to that you don't have to? How much anxiety are you internalizing and keeping to yourself that you could be giving to your Heavenly Father? Have you ever struggled with something but you didn't feel like you could share it? A burden that maybe you didn't think anybody would really care about or care about you or maybe you thought they would care too much and you didn't want to saddle them with that burden. Or maybe you didn't trust them with the information or with the problem. Well, your Heavenly Father wants that burden. He wants your stress. He wants your pain. He wants your worries and fears and doubts and concerns. He wants your anxiety. So cast all of your care on Him today. Our Father cares for us. Fourth, God corrects us when we stray. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8. God corrects us when we stray. There was an old farmer who had a wayward son. This guy was bad news. The dad couldn't control him no matter what. He tried correcting him. He tried admonishing. He tried disciplining. The son wouldn't listen. He would not not take correction. And finally, it landed him in prison. A 20-year sentence for bank robbery. Well, he and his son reconciled their differences in the time in prison. But the father was getting old. And he couldn't really work the farm anymore. And he, he was having such trouble tilling the garden. He, he used to do it all by hand. And his son was there to help him. And now he couldn't do it. And he wrote his son and said, Son, I miss you, but I really, I really am struggling. I can't, I can't till the garden anymore. And it's not like it was when you were here to help me. And I just don't know what I'm going to do. And, but, but I love you and I, I wish you well. He immediately got a letter back from his son in just a few days. And and, and the letter said this, Dad, whatever you do, do not dig up the garden. 
I have some things there that I need when I get out. Do not dig up the garden. Well, the next morning, the FBI showed up at the old man's door with bulldozers and heavy equipment, and they just dug the whole garden patch up and couldn't find a thing. The next day, he got another letter from his son, said, Dear Dad, Happy Father's Day. That's the best I could do from here. <laughs> so you're probably not bank robbers today, I don't think. If you are, don't raise your hand, you're on camera. But you're not perfectly innocent either. Neither am I. We all have sin in our lives, and sometimes our sin becomes habitual. Sometimes our sin becomes a part of us, and we don't want to repent. We live in our sin, and that's when we require the discipline of the Lord. It's not all bad news, though. Hebrews 12, 6-8 says, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that the Father does not discipline? This is even worse if you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. One day my youngest son asked me, Daddy, who spanks you when you get into trouble? Who disciplines you when you do wrong? You might think that's a hard question to answer, but it was super easy. Immediately, the answer came to my mind. I said, God does. God disciplines me when I do wrong. And I loved giving him that answer because he was asking me for the same reason that I was you know, curious about this whole situation. What does it mean to receive discipline? It means that somebody cares enough about you to help you become a better person. I don't mind telling him that God disciplines me. I don't view that as a negative thing. I don't view that as God being hateful or mean. I view it as an honor. To claim that God disciplines me means that I'm claiming a high honor that I am a son or daughter of God. He disciplines those whom he loves. We don't always appreciate it in the moment. That's true. But it is one way God shows His love for us. And let's make a clear distinction here between God's discipline and God's punishment and vengeance. They're not the same thing. God does not punish His children. God does not take vengeance on His children. He takes vengeance on His enemies. And people are punished in hell. It is not the same thing. God's discipline is corrective. It is restorative. It is redemptive in nature. It is wholly 100% designed to give you a course correction to bring you back into the righteous path, to the narrow path, if you will. God's discipline is always done in love, and it is always done for our own good. And by the way, fathers, this is the way we ought to discipline as well. I won't chase that rabbit trail too long, but you get the point. If you punish your children because you're angry or you get vengeance on your children because of something they've done to you, this is not discipline. This is sin. And you need to repent. But God's discipline is done in love. It is corrective. Fifth, God protects us. God protects us. Romans 8.31 Romans 8.31 Daddy, you saved me. Those are the words of my daughter, Ella May, my youngest. 
She said it to me for weeks. You saved me. I fell in and you saved me. A while back we were at the river enjoying a day with some friends and we were packing up getting ready to go and the last thing to come off of the kids and to be packed up was the floaties. Ella's about three years old now. She can't swim. Off came the floaty. We're getting in the car ready to go. She decides to run back on the dock one last time. And you guess what's happening next. She walks off the edge of the dock, not even looking where she's going, falling off the dock, hitting her chin, cutting it open on the way down. And now she's in the water, not swimming, drowning. And my wife sees her. She screams. And you all, again, you think you know the scream of a child who's scared. You ever heard the scream of a spouse who's scared? It's chilling. And I knew immediately something was wrong. And I ran before I knew, saw Ella, and I dove off the dock into the water to get her. In retrospect, I probably should have ran a little closer to her and jumped in feet first. I did not realize the water was knee deep, and I was jumping off of a three-foot-high dock. So we both got banged up a little bit that day, but we both survived. Fathers protect. That's what we do. But fathers can't always be there, can we? We can't always be there when something bad goes, something goes wrong. We can't defeat every enemy. But you know what's cool about our Heavenly Father? He can. He can be everywhere. He is. He can defeat every enemy. He does. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a classic rhetorical question. The answer is nobody, no thing, no power on earth, in heaven or hell, beneath, above. No one can be against us. Now the protection of God does not guarantee us a pain-free life. That's true. Um, it doesn't... It doesn't guarantee us from pain or difficulty. It doesn't even guarantee us freedom from tragedy. Sometimes that's hard to grasp what that means, but God protects us from the enemies that are most dangerous to us, the enemies of our spirit. God is a good Father, and He protects us. And finally and sixthly, God is still good even though we suffer. Saved alone was the telegram that Horatio Spafford received when his wife's ship sank. On that ship were many passengers, among whom his wife and his four remaining children. You see, he had just lost everything he owned in the Chicago fire. He had lost a son, and all that he had was sailing to Europe when their ship was struck by another vessel and sank in 12 minutes. This was a man who knew suffering, he knew pain, he knew fear, he knew anxiety. Yet as he was sailing to meet his wife in Europe, still grieving horribly, he passed the very spot where the ship sank. And as he contemplated the goodness and faithfulness of God, he was overcome by something greater. This is where it said he got the inspiration to pin the words to the famous hymn, It is well with my soul. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls 
to a faithful creator while doing good. The most difficult part about being a child of God sometimes is why? Why me? I'm a child of God. Why now? This is the worst time, God. Why is there evil and suffering? I thought you were a good God. Isn't there another way? And if we spend all our time on the why, we will never get anywhere. You will not know the why until you meet God face to face, I contend. But the what and the how we can know. What can I learn? What blessings do I have from God that I still have? What, what do I know about God's character that can help me through? What good can come from this? And the how is the easiest question to answer, but probably the hardest to put into practice. How do I get through it? You entrust your soul to a faithful creator. When peace like a river tendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In a moment we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to contemplate the goodness of God. All the good gifts, all of the blessings, all the way down through the difficulties of life, and how God is good no matter what. Even in our sufferings, we can say that we have a good God. We're going to spend a time in prayer, and we're going to have a time of reflection for you to respond. If you need to speak with someone about the care of your soul or what's troubling you, you can catch me after the service today or contact the church office, and we'd be glad to set up an appointment to meet with you and talk with you about whatever it is that you're struggling with today. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you are our Father. We thank you that you've given us earthly fathers. And we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to demonstrate what it is to be a father. As we struggle through this calling as dads, Lord, I pray today that we would do more than think about our earthly father as we honor them today, but we would concentrate and focus on and dwell on the goodness of our Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.